This episode of Breaking Walls is sponsored by... Are you a maker, doer, dreamer who enjoys their time alone? Who thrives on working solo? Then you might enjoy the Creative Introvert Podcast. Every week, I bring you musings, tips, and guest interviews in order to inspire and motivate my fellow creative innies. Find the show at thecreativeintrovert.com. Tired of the everyday routine? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you... What's up, guys? Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode number 65. My name is James Scully. Today on Breaking Walls, we're going to open up a forum on the student loan debt inflation in the United States of America. If one goes to debt.org students, you'll see an interesting and alarming trend. In 2004, the total amount of student loan debt in the United States of America was $260 billion. Now, that sum might seem scary on its own, but since that time, the number has risen to $1.4 trillion. Each second in the United States, $2,858 is added to that total, and the average amount of student loan debt for every student in this country is currently $37,172. In fact, when I recorded interviews for this podcast last month, the total debt amount was $1.3 trillion. That means since the college semesters began three weeks ago, we've now added another $100 billion to that total amount of debt. In the show notes for this podcast, I'm including a link to a clip from Money Talking, which is hosted by WNYC. It's only about seven minutes and it's well worth a listen. It inspired me to expand the conversation because the Federal Reserve Bank of New York found that the mounting debt could ultimately hurt consumer spending and upward mobility for both low and middle income students. Long after these students have taken out their loans, Americans are being forced to choose between paying off debts or getting married, having children, saving for emergencies, and purchasing homes. This isn't just a dangerous trend for those low- and middle-income students either. This debt total brings down the entire economy, regardless of our age or whether or not we have student loans. If the overall value of the American dollar is hurting, it stands to reason that student loans are a large part of the cause. So, what are we going to do about it? Well, I've always felt that communicating to unite and quell fear is a good place to start finding solutions. And I'd like to get this conversation started on Breaking Walls episode number 65. So for this episode, I spoke with Pratt Institute undergraduate advisor, Mike Farnham. I had a young woman at my desk back in April. She was a fashion major and she ended up one credit short of graduating. She had failed a class, you know, and she said, Mike, how am I going to graduate? And I said, well, you can come back in the summer or maybe you can come back in, in the fall. A single credit at Pratt costs $1,600. She said, I can't afford this any longer. She said, I am so in debt right now. And I asked her, I said, um, Sue, how much is your student loan debt right now? She said, $180,000. I nearly fell off my chair. Xavier High School art professor Denise Giacovone. You know, by 18, you can't teach a kid everything. You can only give him the tools and say, call me if you have a question and go out and fall down a few times. Yeah. We taught you how to get up. Right. 
you know, and, and get up. Mm-hmm. Work out your muscles, whatever your muscle is, your creative thinking, your math, your art, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know. Advertising sales account executive, Teresa Triolo Thompson. Most people with all the student loan debt, they're just bogged down and they're not able to buy houses faster. They're not able to get cars faster. They're not able to do anything faster. I mean, that stimulates the economy. There's real estate agents who need to make money off that. There's car salesmen who need to make money off that. And those are all careers that aren't based off of college educations. We need to all help stimulate the economy, whether that be get an education or not. Everyone needs an education, but let's put everybody in debt. That doesn't work. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. And Nancy Pop, who is a hilarious, talented comedian, podcaster, actress, and empathetic recent college graduate. People don't think about what are my skills, what am I good at, and what do I want to do. People start adjusting their mentality to how can I make the most amount of money in the shortest amount of time possible so that I can stop worrying about this. Desperation Desperation turns into negative things. Mm -hmm. I have friends that are in so much student debt that they would start selling drugs or just doing other things like hosting parties and charging a lot of money for people to go to that. And that's whatever, that's a thing, you know. But when you start getting into lucrative activities in order to pay off your loans, that's concerning. Now, this conversation isn't meant to provide the ultimate answer. I think that would be impossible. What I'd like to do is open the conversation and get us all talking about how we can unify to find a solution for this debt crisis. Because frankly, this alarming trend can't continue. Now, before I go on, I do want to say that you can find Breaking Walls on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Search for Breaking Walls or on SoundCloud, follow us at The Wall Breakers. If you've been enjoying Breaking Walls, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. It helps the algorithm and it'll help more people discover the show. And if you want to reach out to me directly, please do so at james at thewallbreakers.com. This episode is premiering roughly 10 days late. Ordinarily, episodes come out on the 1st and 15th of each month. The tardiness is due to a new job I have been recently hired for, which I would like to share for you publicly and hope to in the coming weeks. Finally, this episode is premiering in September because our topic for the month is learning lessons. It's fitting as it seems that everyone I've spent time with or spoken to this month, including myself, has had an incredibly challenging month. Maybe that makes a ton of sense. Have you ever heard it's always darkest before the dawn? Don't sweat it. For us... Sunrise will indeed come. In a moment, Luke Slaughter of Tombstone returns. With the warm weather here, young folks are champing at the bit to get outdoors and enjoy themselves. Many of them, far too many in fact, may be thinking of quitting school after this semester and going to work. If they're not graduating this June, ask them to give the matter a second thought. The grass may look very green and inviting from the classroom window, but if they don't complete high school or college, they may be looking just as longingly out the window 20 years from now, bored and disgusted with a dull or menial, poor-paying job. The good jobs, the interesting jobs, the secure jobs, and the high-salary jobs are reserved for those with college degrees. There are some pretty good jobs for high school graduates, too. But remember this. The less education you have, the less money you're likely to earn during your lifetime. You may hear of a lot of people being out of work today, but there's still a crying need for engineers, scientists, doctors, nurses, and teachers. And jobs like that require a sound, complete education. Urge the young people you know to qualify for them. They can if they stay in school and graduate. This PSA ran on CBS Radio on May 4th, 1958, during an episode of Luke Slaughter of Tombstone. 
We've all grown up with this American sentiment. Stay in school. It's the best way to ensure that we'll get a stable job with good benefits. But is that still true? Or is it a more complicated situation than that? Well, let's start at the end of high school with some advice from Denise Yacovone. So basically what I say to the guys is that you should always dream your dream. Don't go to a college because of a cheap tuition or because of um, a brand logo mm -hmm. or because your brother went there or because your friend from Xavier is going there. I always say find your, make a dream and then pursue your dream. You mm -hmm. know, create it, make it happen, create your own reality. And that includes kind of throwing a wide net. Don't fall in love with anything yet. And be realistic. So if you want to be a graphic designer, don't go to a school that you, your sister's going to that doesn't have graphic design. Sure. <laughs> you know, the, the college has to fit you like, a, like clothing would suit you, like a, a size 30 pant might mm -hmm. fit you, but you may not wear a plaid pair of pants. Right. Or you might love the plaid pair of pants. Right. So first of all, I tell them to find colleges that suit your dream. Because mm -hmm. without the dream, you're not going to get anywhere. You might as well go to McDonald's. And the other thing is not to believe every bit of advertising. I was in advertising for a long time. You can be a big fish in a small pond. You don't have to go to the top art school, whatever that would be, RISD mm -hmm. or something, in order to get a good job. You can go to a school that has what you want, follow the path, and be the best at that school. Be the mm -hmm. best that you could be. That's all anyone can ask you to do, is to be the best you could be. And there is no shame in going to a school that costs less money if you're gonna learn and develop and be the best you can be. You know, that, that's really, mm -hmm. there's really something to that. And you don't have to worry about, well, it's not Harvard, you know, I'm not gonna get hired. You're gonna get hired for your personality, for your professionalism, for your portfolio. And people in the business world know that. When I was in advertising, sometimes if I saw the big name schools coming in, I also saw an attitude walk in with it. Mm -hmm. And I an was- An attitude of expectation? An attitude of, I went to RISD, so I'm really good, and I expect you to offer me this job, mm -hmm. which already is off-putting. I'm going to hire you because I have to work with you. Mm -hmm. You have to take direction from me. We have to be able to get along. I have to have you know that you don't know everything yet. You can't think, oh, I, have a, I spent $200,000 on a tuition, so I must know everything. Mm -hmm. Until you get into the work world, you don't know anything. That's right. You know, maybe you have tools. Maybe if you were smart, you learn to be humble. If you're in an art program, you're going to learn critique. I think critique is a great thing because you have to develop a tough skin. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have somebody look at your baby, your creation, and say, oh, what were you thinking when you made this thing? Mm -hmm. And you better have a thought about it. Sure. You better be able to articulate it. That was one thing at Pratt. We all we did group mm -hmm. crits for everything. Sure. And when you put your work up on a wall, yep. you had to be able to explain it. And if you were going to say something, <clears throat> let's say, I don't like this other piece, you couldn't just say that. You had to be able to explain why. Right, you know, right, there was why? no frivolous yes. you know, opinion allowed. You right, had to exactly. be able to speak to it. And, and of course, when you do it in high school level, if, you know, when they say, well, this is good, why? Well, because I like it. Why? Right. Because it's blue. So, you know, like I don't right. really have to say anything in a crit until you realize there has to be a thought behind. And to be able to verbalize and formulate a thought about your work or about somebody else's work without your ego or their ego, mm -hmm. then that's vital and crucial to growing. Mm -hmm. And so that you can learn at the, you know, at the school that's the least money or the best money, depending on the program. You want to make sure that it has what you want, has good 
good teachers, that it has uh, good Well, that's labs. something I want to ask you, because is that a fear that if I go to CSI as opposed to Pratt, or is the teaching going to be subpar? So I'm not going to be able to develop the skills I need because right. the leaders can't show me. Well, you have to do your homework, that, and that's the other thing that I was probably going to say before. Mm -hmm. Nobody cares about your life as much as you do. Mm -hmm. Not even your mom and dad. Right. They may cherish you and want to keep you safe, but nobody is in your skin. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows what feeds you. Nobody, you might not even know that, mm -hmm. but you have to try to fill that void yourself. Yes. And talk to the people that you love and trust, your teachers, your, whoever your trusted adults are, your family, whoever that is. And then do your homework. You have to look up those people. You know, that roster changes from time to time. All of the people at school A may all of a sudden go to teach at school B. Or they're teaching at both, but or, school or B is half the money. Exactly. If you look at FIT, I, I always say, apply to your dream schools. Never don't, in New York, don't skip FIT. It's an excellent school, and it costs you nothing now. Mm -hmm. You know, or it costs $6,000. At the time, whatever have you been the director of undergraduate advisement? Um, 16 years. Okay. And in that time, you have advised untold amounts of students and obviously have opinions on student loan debt, its manageability. When I asked you to sit down and speak with me, were there things that immediately came to your mind that you wanted to say right off the bat? A few things. Um, I don't believe that any student should put themselves into debt past the point that they could afford to pay it back. Mm -hmm. Of course, all of my experience with undergraduates has been here at Pratt or at the School of Visual Arts over on 23rd Street. So it's all a particular type of student, mm -hmm. a, a student who is studying art, design, architecture, and creative writing. So in, they're going into some art or design or creative field. How are they going to be able to pay back their, their student loans in that type of work field? Mm -hmm. Right now here at Pratt, if you were to look at the student population, the domestic population is decreasing. As in students who come from New York City? Students who come from the United States. Okay. The demographic just isn't there these days. Every college in the United States will admit to that, that the demographic of college-age students in the United States isn't as great as it was five years ago. My understanding from people who follow these trends, that by, I think they said 2024 or thereabouts, we'll start to see an upswing in college-age students, a greater number of college-bound students in the United States. So right now, Pratt's international uh, student population is growing. These are students who do not get federal financial aid. They are out-of-pocket spenders. And so one of my biggest concerns is how this affects the state of art and design, architecture, and 
writing mm -hmm. in the United States. It's becoming, we're losing the influence of minority voices in this area. Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's important that, um, you know, we, we have to hear all voices. It can't just be the voices of the privileged white or the privileged Asian student who can afford to go to a school like Pratt. Right now, it's, it costs approximately $65,000 a year to go to Pratt. That is significantly higher, by the way, than when I was enrolling as a student oh, yeah. 10 years ago. Yeah. $65,000. Yeah. If you're going to pay that much for one year of school, you better do your homework. But what has the college life been like for recent students? Let's ask Nancy Pop. Wow, I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> I'm Nancy Pop. I'm 22 years old. I'm a recent college graduate from about a year ago. I live in New York City. I co-host the podcast Coffee and Anal. You should all listen to that. Check it Available out. On iTunes, Available Stitcher, on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud. SoundCloud, all that good stuff. What did you go to college for? I went to college. Um, I studied theater performance and playwriting. I got my degree in three years instead of four, so I saved a lot of money doing that. That was a great way for me to bypass some of the tuition crisis, um, and I graduated last May. Right now, are you doing anything professionally that you got your degree in? I mean, I'm not a playwright, and uh, I wouldn't say that I'm making the big bucks as an actress, but I work in television production, and I host comedy shows throughout Brooklyn each month. I perform every Tuesday night in the Lower East Side. So I do things, but like I said, I'm only a year out of school. I'm not expecting the Hollywood flashing lights right this moment, you know? But the money that you spent on your degree, for you right now, it's money well spent? So far. I think I'm in a good place. I think I had a lot of luck along the way. I wasn't one of those people the moment that I graduated where I was scrambling to find a job. I kind of landed my production job actually about six months before I graduated. So I was finishing up my last year of my undergrad while I was working this full-time job that I'm, I've now been at for two years. So in many ways, I was a lot luckier than a lot of people. But in a lot of ways, I did work a lot harder to graduate early to save money. First of all, I want to say I think that the price of education um, post high school is ridiculous. You, who the sorry, who the, who the heck thinks that they can just spurt out you know forty to fifty thousand dollars a year? I just think that 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 price point because that's that's the typical average price now of of a four year public university is thirty to forty k a year if you're going full time. Absolutely, that's an insane amount of money. There's no way most people, most people I know, and I'm pretty sure I can speak for just most people in general, don't have forty thousand dollars no, laying to around spend out of pocket, no. to spend out of pocket. No, right. so that means that that automatically means that the majority of the people going to school probably have student loans. Right. I have a few friends, not very many. But very few friends who were fortunate enough that their undergraduate career, their parents were able to pay for it, and now it's their responsibility to pay for their graduate degree, which is great. You know, they were able to fully focus on their undergraduate career. They were able to fully focus on just going to school, being a student, learning. When I was in school, knowing that I had all of this debt coming up put a lot of anxiety and stress on me, and. Honestly, at times, it made it harder to just be a student and to just fully experience 
not only the learning aspect of being in college and actually going to class and doing the work and everything else that it entails, but the social aspects, the, the, the personal growth that you're doing. When I was in school, I would work anywhere from two to four part-time jobs or freelance gigs at a time just to be paying for at least my day-to-day because I'm not going to put all that stuff on a credit card, you know? That was my way throughout college of cutting corners, so to speak, was like, I'm going to work 60 hours this week. Oh, but I still have class that I got to get to tomorrow morning at 8.30. Do I have enough time to sleep? You know, do I have enough money in my own bank account right now to just buy food? And I think that student loan debt, like not only is this a stress after college, but during college. But what you just said about the ethic that you were developing at that point in time, history is littered with stories of, at least in American history, and I think in, in European history as well, recent history, of men and women who had to do those things and that gave them the drive to succeed and Definitely. themselves. So is student loan debt in some ways a good thing because you can't really run from it if you have private student loan debt. There's nothing you can do. It doesn't go away. So you have to address it at some point, which means that you got to learn how to make money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is that positive aspect of student loans. It puts a fire under your ass and it is so well lit because you have to be paying those loans off each month. Otherwise, your credit score plummets. When your credit score plummets, you can't apply for new apartments. You can't apply for what other, other whatever other stuff you might be needing that requires a credit score. You know, it definitely lights a fire under your ass and it gets you working and hopefully... I, I can only speak for myself, but hopefully other students or recent graduates or just people in general will want to work harder and really think about what they want to be doing. I agree with Nancy that student loan debt has lit a fire under the bottom of many people in this millennial generation. But back to Denise Giacovone's point about making sure we do our homework to pick a college we want to go to. A lot of high school seniors and college age students don't yet know what they want to do. That seems normal to me. It's a 17 year old young adult. Why would they have their entire life mapped out? Unfortunately, switching majors or changing colleges midway is another way to rack up the student loan debt. Here's Teresa Thompson telling her college story. Now, you were just saying to me offline that you went to multiple colleges. Mm -hmm. Can you take me through that process? Yes. So so that's what started with LIM. So I said, okay, if I'm going to go to college, this is the college I'm going to go to. My parents are being supportive and they're like, okay, we want to send you to college. Um, So they kind of went through the financial process financial process there. So there I applied for FAFSA, for state grants. I applied for a bunch of grants, which they did give me, um, but ultimately there was a gap and we had to take out a student loan for that gap because I think at the end of the year, the total cost for that school was about 10 grand. I think it was like 10 grand a year. So between the state and the federal, they covered maybe like seven, eight of it. Um, so we had to come up with the rest of the money. Okay. Okay, that was fine. My parents take that out. I don't I don't see it. I don't know nothing about it. I don't know anything. Um, I go to the classes. I really enjoy it. But coming from an all-girl Catholic high school and then going to a fashion-focused college, I was starting to see similarities that I did not like. There's just a lot of clickiness and a mm-hmm. lot of petty stuff that I was just like, I'm not here to make friends. I'm here to get an education. Like, mm-hmm. this is annoying. Um, and I bet and you also stuff. wanted just a different kind of social environment after yeah. going through that for four years, right? Yeah, exactly. So socially, so I really had nothing to do with the classes. I really actually enjoyed the classes, but I think socially it was just not the right fit for me. Um, I was like, I don't really know if I'm feeling this kind of experience here. Um, also, the school is very strict in that they were they were setting up my classes. I was going to the city Monday through Friday, 9 to 5. So they were already setting me up as if like I already had a full-time job. That was a lot for me. I was 18, <laughs> coming out from going to school in Brooklyn, just like driving myself to school. 
Now I had to take the train Monday through Friday with the rush hour of everybody going to the city. And I'm only 18 and I'm like, this is a lot. This is very aggressive right now on top of all the socially things that I'm not into. So I was like, okay, I'm taking a break. So about halfway into my second semester, I kind of was just like, I'm over this. I'm not going back. That left my parents essentially with the $6,000 student loan that they owned, uh, which again, I never saw because then I went to work immediately after. I said, okay, I'm just going to go work for a little while. I don't know what I want to do. Um, and which is why I started bartending and waitressing, which is something my family has, is all into. Everyone owns restaurants. Everyone's a waiter. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be a bartender and make a lot of money. So 1920, I was bartending and just making a shit ton of cash. Mm-hmm. And it, so basically, is that how you paid this, your parents back for the student loan? No, they never even asked me money for my student loan Okay. on that. I guess it was so small <laughs> to them that they were like, okay, whatever. Um, and I also was still living home, so I wasn't making a ton of money where they were like, oh, yeah, we can start asking you for money, I guess, now. They were just happy I was making some sort of income and, like, living somewhat on my own. Mm-hmm. And then as I was bartending, I'm reaching, like, 21 now, and I'm over it. <laughs> um, I'm just kind of like, okay, what am I going to do now? What's my next move? I don't really know. So I decide to try Kingsborough which is a small community college and obviously very cheap. So now we're starting the enrollment for that and we're doing FAFSA again and all this stuff. So now because Kingsborough so, is so inexpensive compared to LAM, they paid for my full college. Your they parents even, did? No, um, the government. So oh, between okay. federal grants and state grants, it covered everything. Mm-hmm. Um, they even gave me money for books. They like gave me money. <laughs> so why. what was your major then in Kingsborough? Oh, my major then, what was my major then? I think I majored in early childhood education. Okay. I was there for a semester. Mm-hmm. And that was also socially very depressing. Just every, I didn't like the teachers. They seemed very, I don't know. I just did not like the professors there. They weren't very um, motivating, if you will. And every, all the other students there just, I don't know, just weren't cool. I didn't want to talk to them. <laughs> Um, I just did not like the environment there either. So I was like, okay, after a semester there, I was like, I'm done. So enter college number three. (laughs) Yeah. So then enter college number three. Now I'm trying to pinpoint what was the things about LAM that I didn't like, what were the things about Kingsborough I didn't like, and like, what is my second option? So Mm -hmm. I'm thinking LAM, I didn't like traveling to the city every day during rush hour. That was not for me. And even still to this day, it's really not for me, but I deal with it. Um, so I was like, okay, how can I X that factor out? Maybe there has to be some school I could drive to, which is originally what made me go to Kingsboro, which I was like, oh, okay, I could just drive there. But then I ended up getting lazy because it's in Brooklyn. I'd go there, I'd drive all the way there, and then I'd say, I don't really want to go to class, and I'd drive all the way back home. Uh, 10 minute drive, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, on the highway. So I was like, okay, so, and then what was it about Kingsboro? I didn't really like uh, the environment there. I didn't like the campus. I just didn't like anything there. So. I, then I go to CSI, so I'm like, well, let me check it out. Even even though it's Staten Island and like, mm-hmm. I, I should talk and, yeah, a lot so of Yeah, so for those who don't know, CSI yeah. is the College of Staten Island. Yeah, the College of Staten Island. Which is also technically a CUNY <laughs> school, I'm pretty sure. Yes. yes, it is. Still considered CUNY. So I go there, and I'm just, I don't know, I just get a better vibe from CSI. It's like, it's a huge campus, you go in there. Once you're like inside CSI, it's, um, I don't really feel like you're in Staten Island. It's very like grassy and nice, and I'm like, okay. Let me roll with this. So again, CSI not being as expensive as LAM, being probably a little bit more the Kingsboro. Um, but again, I get the federal grants and I get the state grants, so I don't have to pay for it. Um, I don't know if they paid for my textbooks here, because uh, I think it was a little more money, but everything was covered. So every year I just had to keep applying and they kept giving me money. So I was like, okay. And I don't know, I really, I, so here I started my major in communications. Um, I ventured away from teaching and from fashion and kind of the things I thought maybe were cool jobs. Um, and just like, let me try something else. 
I tried communications. I started to notice that like I like um, I liked reading a lot. I like news. I like PR. I was like I'm kind of into that. So I majored in communications. Um, I ended up switching my major a year later into English writing, um, just because I thought English writing would give me more flexibility. Um, as far as like what I wanted to do later, like do I if I want to be a teacher, at least I have an English writing degree. If I want to do PR, it's still writing. So it's like it's kind of one and the same. Um, so I really, I just really liked my, the classes that I had to take there. They gave me really great options. Um, like I took a class on Bob, Bob, uh, Dylan, mm-hmm. did a whole class on him, his songs, like his whole life. I was like, oh, this is pretty fucking awesome. Um, I took playwriting classes. Um, I took a filmmaking class. Uh, I took like so many great classes and all my professors were like awesome. They all like, they already worked in the field. So they all had like work experience. Um, they had great like advice. I took a journalism class. I I love that guy. He was great. Um, you felt connected. Yeah, I felt more connected with these professors here. Mm-hmm. So that was a big, that was a big thing for me. So I ended up graduating. So to June two thousand eleven, exactly four years later, I did four years in the school. And I An immediate overlapping right? theme is the need for work ethic. No matter what we want to do in life, we have to be willing to get off our butts and do it. That seems obvious, but we've all been paralyzed by the fear of not knowing what we want especially when we know that making educational choices or taking entrepreneurial risks can cost a lot of money. At the same time, when we dig deep and find out what we like and who we are, we eventually find something that fits us like a glove. Was the knowledge of, of there was going to be a financial burden? I think so. I think, I think because I didn't want my dad and my mother at, in retirement age to be like struggling to pay this thing that so that I could have summers off. Mm. So I decided I can't really earn money to help pay. You know, the Italian family, I was not allowed to work. <laughs> I did, you know, I did crazy. What I did in college actually was I painted murals on people's walls mm. for kids. So they'd say, well, can you do Mickey Mouse? Sure, I could do anything you want, you know? So I would, and then it became its own business, like $50 a character, whatever it is. So that was my pocket money. Mm-hmm. But my father always said, your job is to go to school. So I did that, I accelerated, and I went to NYU, which was a little more expensive than the cheapest college I could have found, but I loved it. So it was worth it to me. You have to know mm. everything has a cost. Right. Would I go to a college now that cost $150,000, $200,000? No. Mm. No. <laughs> there, to me, there's no school that would justify having to take that burden on. Because, you know, as a kid, this is what we were saying before, as a kid, you have no idea when you hear it's going to cost you $120,000 right. loan. Like, You're like, that oh, means okay. Nothing. Yeah, but, you know, I've had kids say it to me. Oh, yeah, but you don't have to start till after you graduate. Yeah, but you're paying for 20 years. That means you're not going to have a first car for a long time. You can't buy a house, probably, for you a long children, time. Potentially. You, right. You, you and get your married. wife are both going to get married and have debt. <laughs> right. So your kids are going to be born when you're... Like, it has so many repercussions. Now, you know, if you were going to be, I don't know, a, a neurobrain surgeon, maybe you have to go to that school. I don't know that world, but I think there are very few professions where you can't make the best out of a good school. Find a good school. Apply to everything. If you get scholarships, that's wonderful. If you get, you know, go to the grant library. There's a whole library on Fifth Avenue just devoted to scholarships and grants. Mm-hmm. Is it a pain in the neck? Yes. You have to write you have to write scholarship applications for every single individual thing. But in that library, they literally have grants that are so specific, scholarships that are for redheaded 
children of Vikings. Like there's right. just crazy yeah, things. If you are willing to put the work in, you yeah. can find it. Right, and that's what I'm saying. You have to do your homework. And then you have to assess, okay, I have people who would love to go to Pratt, but Pratt is, you know, X amount of dollars, and they don't really want to go to FIT because it doesn't have the finesse or the reputation or whatever. FIT is just as strong a school as Pratt. And then I say look at it. In April when you get everything back, or May, you know, if Pratt is $50,000 and they give you $40,000, and FIT at that time is $6,000. Okay, so you've got 6000 against 10000 That's not so bad. Go to where so you bad. want to go. Yeah, that's right. not you so bad. You made up the difference. That's pretty much the same. Get another job, work hard, you can make that up. If Pratt gives you no money, it's $50,000. And FIT gives you $6,000, that's a big thing. Right. And, and, and no amount of our, you know, job hunting is going to make up that amount of money. Because if you're good at FIT... And by the way, we're all in different boats. It does start with our parents and our family's economic situation. Sometimes parents have, um, you know, accounts for, for colleges. I can't remember what the legal thing is now, the 531 or something. There's a legal place where they can start from birth. Right, to saving money, money for college. Right. So right. if your mom and dad know, I already have $30,000 a year for you, it's put away. Right. Okay. It gives you more of a, you don't have to worry about that thing. Well, here's the other thing that, that students don't realize is you have to talk to your parents and say, what are the real financials of our family? I know that you're going to say you can go anywhere you want. Is that really true? Well, that's some parents say that. Other parents Other parents say you're very, paying, right, you're paying. Or, well, you need to know that, though. Right, a, you know, right. I, I very often have that conversation. Well, are you paying for this yourself? Is grandma, did grandma leave you a trust fund? Right. You know, are you going to take out student loans? Or are your parents going to put in some? And you, you need to know that. that mm-hmm. That's a real, that's part of the real reality that you don't realize in high school. You don't know anything about money. Sure. You know, that, that informs everything. You know? Okay. Thus far, these chats have touched on going to school and staying in school. But I'm now 30 years old. And a lot of listeners might be like me, a.k.a. done with college for a long time. But is a college degree still necessary to get a job? Is this millennial generation more entrepreneurial? Is some of that out of necessity? The mentality right now, from the people I know at least, the mentality of someone in their early 20s who's a recent college graduate is, what happens if I don't pay my student loans? I can't afford it. I will now make my minimum monthly payment $50. So now I'll be you know, paying it off until I'm 150 according to this calculator. Oh well. It's just a part of life. There's, they don't, like, no one sees an end to it. No one sees a solution. And no one sees any other possible way of dealing with the situation. Everyone's kind of like, well, we signed a piece of paper when I was 18 years old and didn't know shit about anything because I felt the pressure. Otherwise, I couldn't go to school. I know so many people that for the first year of college, they didn't go because their student loans, something happened, it didn't pan out, or the only loans that they could qualify for were private loans with a 30% interest rate, and they were like, I'm not doing that for my bachelor's degree. But then a year later, they're still not in school, and they kind of have to suck it up and do they it want, if they want to keep, if they wanna keep you know, and yeah. And the thing is that we technically need a college degree to get a job these days. If you don't have that degree, regardless of what your intelligence level is, Nobody's going to hire you. Yeah. And I actually think that's changing too. I think that's changing because I feel like a lot of uh, work right now is being, the more labor or the more jobs that people are getting, to me anyways, it seems to be people who are working with technology and media and 
different platforms and app development things like that and so you don't really need a degree to do that stuff you just need to know how to do it and you need to know someone who can vouch for you sure. because at the end of the day what is college you know but a piece of paper that you get that says right. this person so and so went here for so and so years and is an expert or whatever on this right but i know plenty of people who went to school and are really stupid too so is college really worth it that's a whole other conversation. You are the fourth person that I'm speaking to on this topic, which just started as student loan debt, what can we do about it? Right. And unsurprisingly to me, actually, it's showing that it's really just a facet of a much larger thing going on within... I, don't, I can't speak to if I was living in London or yeah. Shanghai or any I, other I, city or place, but in America... <laughs> And New York New is York, certainly yeah. a, an extreme version of things that go on in this country in usually, a lot of ways. Yeah, we usually are, right? We're saying $1.3 trillion is a drag on the overall economy. That's hurting you, too, and you're yeah. several decades out of college, sure. but it, it's hurting things. People are not getting benefits at their jobs anymore. You know, yeah. you're working longer hours for less money. There's no pensions. There's, there's no retirement plans. Yes. So what are people supposed to do other than band together in some yeah. ways, right? That's the yeah. only way things are going to stop. I read something that said that, um, it was a whole article on Facebook, but um, it was interesting, I can't remember who wrote it, about that there's actually now a need for trade people. We, we went so far into everyone must have a college degree. I remember my father was a pharmacist, and he was the, you know, an Italian immigrant. He was the first of ten, and that was such a big deal that he even went to college and became a pharmacist. Most people were trades mm -hmm. people, and now, and so it became everyone had to have a high school degree. That was a big deal, having a high school diploma. And then, you know, all the top people were going to, the kids were going to, this generation pushed their kids into college. Everyone had to go to college. At some point in my lifetime, they lowered the standards in city colleges to make sure everybody could get into college. And you had people taking, like, remedial reading and math in college. What are you doing in college? Right. Not everybody is college material, mm. and that's okay. Who's going to be the electrician? Right. Where are the well, plumbers? Well, I think What's there gonna... is ego there Absolutely. for, you know, keeping up with the Joneses in some ways right. as an indirect way. So, so everyone was going to go to college, and now it's reverted backwards in that there are no people to, to do the manual things mm. that we need done. And I, some people work better with their hands. They should do that. I would hope that we're smart enough to get away from that eventually, right? I don't know. I, well, I, I, I hope think a lot of things. I don't know. <laughs> Not sure what I think, but... It seems to me, you know, based on everything that we're talking about here and in general, these issues are not things that you can't fix. It's really just No, about they're, they're fixable things, but it's going to take... I hope it doesn't take the, for the whole system to break down. That's mm. what could happen, that it mm. becomes unsustainable. Mm. How does a young person get out of college and owe $150,000 mm. and have any free time or buy a car or get married and have a family, or are they just going to default on the loan? And then who, who has to take care of that? You know, mm. That's a whole other issue to this, people defaulting on loans. Mm -hmm. Even that kind of brings up earning bad credit, you know, like your whole world when you're an adult it has to do with your credit rating, you know, you become I'd rather number. not get into that. Right, you become a, a number, and that's reality, is that? Which is honestly, in some ways, a BS reality. You're talking about... But it's the reality I, that we live it in is. right now. It mm -hmm. is, to a certain extent, I think, and I think prior to there being a credit card, if I wanted a loan, I either went to a bank or I went to somebody I knew personally who had the money. And you had collateral. Right. I'll put this up for right. that. You exactly. don't expect free money. Right. 
even in college now you kind of have to give your kid a credit card mm -hmm. well, that's like candy mm -hmm. okay I give this man this piece of plastic and he gives me back shoes like well in some cool. ways wouldn't you say that student loans are in some ways you're selling your your time post-college time or whatever yes, you know what I mean? right well your mental you're, freedom or ability your, to your, your collateral you is your first many years after you graduate of your life mm -hmm. that's your collateral that you're offering like I'm gonna work for the next 20 years. I asked Nancy if this student loan debt was some new form of natural selection. I guess, yes, sure. That's institutionalized survival of the fittest <laughs> student loan debt. Right, that colleges and banks are profiting from. Basically. Definitely. I mean, colleges, a college is a business. It is. And the ethics of college in and of itself is a whole other conversation, whether or not it's worth it for some people. But. Well, colleges have to continuously justify the fact that they exist. Yeah. But think about it. Off of one student alone, colleges make anywhere from thirty to fifty to sixty grand. Then they charge on top of that for room and board. There's another ten to twenty grand, depending meal on plan. meal plan. All just everything like a library card, printing services. It all adds up. So you see the original sticker price of school per year. Oh, oh my God! Look, like the University of. Ohio or something it's only 29k what a steal but then you get everything else added onto it suddenly it's 50k and the college is making that money but then the bank on top of that profits from the interest rates mm -hmm. and I know so many people that have a 20% Sally Mae student loan interest rate and that's ridiculous because then not only did you suddenly jump from having to pay 29,000 a year to 50 but now you're jumping from 50 to 65 or however the math adds up. I had a young woman at my desk back in April. She was a fashion major, and she ended up one credit short of graduating. She had failed a class, you know, and she said, Mike, how am I gonna graduate? And I said, well, you can come back in the summer, or maybe you can come back in, in the fall. A single credit at Pratt costs $1,600. She said, I can't afford this any longer. She said, I am so in debt right now. And I asked her, I said, um, Sue, how much is your student loan debt right now? She said, $180,000. I nearly fell off my chair. How can, how, she had no family uh, backing mm -hmm. in this. Her family said, if this is what you want to do, fine, you're going to have to foot it yourself. I am also wonder how lenders permitted a, a college-age student to keep taking out those type of loans. I don't know how, how that is permitted. How will anyone ever, how will she possibly pay off a six-figure debt? Well, she won't. Only, right, and I don't want to say that this is an ignorant opinion for myself because of my own experiences, but I'm not sure that lenders really want people to be able to pay the money back. I think they want to keep making as much money on the interest alone as possible. Both banking and... You know, if college tuition is going to cost as much as it does, and if banks are going to allow young adults to pile on this kind of debt so that they can profit from the interest, and if this debt is devaluing the American dollar because it severely reduces the financial mobility of our young adults, then these colleges and banks have to do something different. They're being short-sighted because the value of the debt is lessened if the American dollar is devalued. Will some of these institutions actually put themselves out of business? I don't know that it will ever uh, put itself out of business. There are a lot of for-profit 
organizations that are going out of business because the federal government and lenders will no longer give those institutions financial aid because based on uh, employment records, students graduating from those institutions are not making the type of salaries that warrant federal monies being given to that institution. So those are the institutions that may very well price themselves out of business. Pratt is not a for-profit institution. Ah, okay, we're finally getting somewhere. State and federal governments are finally stepping in and doing something about it. For instance, New York State has just started the Excelsior Scholarship. Under this groundbreaking program, more than 940,000 middle-class families and individuals making up to $125,000 per year will qualify to attend college tuition-free at all CUNY and SUNY two- and four-year colleges in New York State. This new program begins in the fall of 2017 and will be phased in over three years. In order to be eligible, students must be a resident of New York, attend a SUNY or CUNY two or four year degree program, take 30 credits per calendar year, and plan to live and work in New York following graduation for the length of time they participate in the scholarship program. Well, something I got really excited about is now in New York State, obviously, now college will be free, or the state level colleges will be free. Could and be, I yeah, was the totally. Scholarship. Yeah, and that's something I'm totally in support of. I th- I'm, I'll pay more taxes if that means more kids can go to college for free the way I did. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's a huge help. I'm totally middle class. I'm even out of school seven years. I'm not making hundreds of thousands of dollars you know i'm making a nice medium income and now i have my husband and even with both of our incomes i mean we live in a small apartment in new york city we're not living mm-hmm. a luxurious lifestyle we're living a pretty modest lifestyle both college educated work in five years in our career so i mean i just feel like it's so unfortunate that people actually i also have another friend of mine who you know she's coming to terms with like she just got married and now the financial aid is probably not going to help her and she's now at this crossroads where it's like i have to choose now between going to work and not going to school anymore mm-hmm. and like that's not that's not a position anyone should really be in most people with all the student loan debt they're just bogged down and they're not able to buy houses faster they're not able to get cars faster they're not able to do anything faster i mean that stimulates the economy there's real estate agents who need to make money off that there's car salesmen who need to make money off that and those are all careers that aren't based off of college educations. We need to all help stimulate the economy, whether that be get an education or not. Everyone needs an education, but let's put everybody in debt. That doesn't work. You know what I mean? It just doesn't work. This is great, but it's only for New Yorkers. Perhaps my sense of economics is skewed being that I am a New Yorker. So what's going on in the rest of the country? Well, before we started recording, and I mentioned how I had this other thing I wanted to talk about. It's kind of tying into to social media culture a little bit. So I grew up in Arkansas where the standard of living is very high for very low prices. Here in New York, we could talk about real estate forever. To get a four bedroom house anywhere in New York is gonna be a couple million. Whereas where I grew up, a four bedroom house was like a quarter of a million dollars. It's nothing, you know? And so I talked to my friends who went to college in Arkansas or nearby and they're in the same debt situation as I am. Maybe their rent is cheaper and their lifestyle is different, but they also make less money than I do. It all evens out. It all evens out. So even if here in New York, I'm making 30 to 40K a year, for New York, as you and I know, that's really nothing. 
basically poverty. It's like, okay, I pay my rent, I buy my metro ticket, I get kind of groceries for a week, and then I just sit around my house because I can't afford to do anything. Whereas in Arkansas, I tell my friends, oh, I make 30 to 40K a year. They're like, oh shit, how did you get that? I still work at this coffee shop or I still, you know, I'm working for my dad's t-shirt company and this is how much I make. And I'm like, yeah, but your rent's also like $300 and you live in Arkansas or you live in the Midwest, like totally different situation. But at the end of the day, the jobs that they're working aren't gonna be paying the same amount as a job here in New York because the finances and the structure of the culture and like the financial culture here is different. But at the end of the month, they still don't have a savings account just like I do. It's still paycheck to paycheck and it's gonna be like that for a while unless there's some sort of economic change that will hopefully improve things for the majority of people. And I say the majority because it's right. impossible so to make it seems like no matter where we live in the United States, the percentages of money we spend each month on bills are relatively the same. If the cost of living in Arizona is cheaper than it is in New York, which is true, but you're also making less money in Arizona, then maybe we need to instill the young generation with a better knowledge of personal finances. I understand that I think every high school should have a serious economic, you know, this is the economics of your life course, not mm. Not necessarily the economics of the world and the right. government. Personal finance. Personal finance. Mm -hmm. Why you, not? You pay that minimum thing, that little $500 bill will cost you $3,500. It would be an eye-opener, even know? to a 16-year-old. Yeah. They would get it. You right. know, you would get it. And it would probably make you more intelligent right. as far as putting yourself in debt. And, and I think that the parents have a little bit, too. The parents, I see parents get into the status thing. Oh, my son got into such and such. Really? But the tuition of such and such is $70,000. Really? You got into FIT, too. Great school. Mm. No tuition. Right. Well, we're going to, you know, we're going to mortgage the house and take a loan and, you know, he'll, he'll take some loans, too. And I have to tell them, like, really think about that. It's like, a trap in some ways, right? It is a trap. You know, mm. it's, a, it's a trap. Well, yeah, you have all these, oh, this whole parenting technique that's been going on for the past 20, 30 years has been, oh, everyone gets a fucking trophy. Well, I didn't grow up like that, so. Well, <laughs> come on. Come on. Every, like, parents, I don't know. I feel like from what I hear and what I see in the news and people talking about, you know, conversations like this or topics like this about millennials and how millennials suck and millennials are closing down the Outback steak, Steakhouse because they're not going to those kinds of things anymore, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, it really all starts with the parents and how your parents raise you. And that's spoken on an individual level, but as a whole community, if a lot of people are raising their kids under that mentality of like, oh, you got second place at your ballerina competition in the sixth grade, congratulations, let's throw a whole party about it, you know? That, that creates an expectation for those people when they're in college, that the moment they get out of college, they're still gonna have a 40K a year job with health benefits and they can buy a car and they can do all this. And then when you know college is over and you realize, ah, I can't find a job for maybe another six months to a year. That's really gonna be able to pay for my basic needs. The job market has job definitely market. changed a lot in the last 15 years. It's also normal for our parents to want their children to succeed both for love and pride driven reasons. Our global economic landscape is evolving. Institutions, companies, and individuals all have to pitch in. As individuals, we can't isolate ourselves. We need to connect with people in places we care about. And as far as isolation goes, it's obvious the student loan debt crisis isn't isolated from the rest of the global economic and social issues we're all experiencing. One of the things that I try to do 
since you were here last, all of the advisement is uh, housed under this office. So that includes both art, design, architecture, and liberal arts and sciences. So there are eight of us mm-hmm. and an administrative assistant. And I always try to hire back Pratt sure. graduates. Yeah. Many of the people on the staff right now are graduate students, former graduate students. And I think we owe it to them. I know that in admissions, about 90 some odd percent, if, if not just about all of them, were Pratt graduates. And it does make sense to do that because you're going to have a stronger emotional tie to your alma mater yeah. than you might to some other place. Yeah, yeah. That's just one of the ways I personally try to help a former Pratt student. I think what you're saying is also important, though, is that whether or not we have student loan debt or whether looking at the state of both our local economy in New York, our national economy and our international world, we all have a part to play and we all have to have empathy. We have to care about our fellow man. We started this conversation prior to recording with a similar kind of statement. What's to say that just because you went to Pratt that you're more talented than the next. Mm. End of the day, James, if a art director is handed X number of resumes, fine, these kids have all graduated college, all right, so that puts them all in the same pool. Then they're gonna wanna see what you can do. Right, you know? how well you can think. Exactly. Um, At least you'd hope that. That's one thing, I do believe that Pratt gives their students a great foundation in critical thinking. Mm -hmm. Talent isn't taught. Talent is honed. Mm -hmm. And I think Pratt does a very good job of that. But again, I will always say to a student, you can get as good of an education somewhere else without throwing yourself into a a sinkhole of debt. I guess there's two parts to it then, right? There's let's say, is the education worth the $65,000 a year price tag? And maybe it really doesn't matter if you can't get a job because the job market sucks. You know what I mean? It yeah. does, at some point, Tesla died penniless in a park, and he was brilliant. So, no. you know, now that's obviously a, a slightly contrived comparison here, yeah. but if there's no jobs to have, then it really doesn't matter whether you paid $6 or $65,000 for You're your right. education. You're right. That's, I can't argue that point. Could the institutions who focus on art and design in New York, so say Parsons, Pratt, FIT, SVA, could they possibly band together to try to help place students at jobs after school and things like that? Is that something that could be at least talked about as a possibility? I don't think that that will ever happen. Because those four institutions, well, Parsons, Pratt, and SVA are the privates. FIT is, is it CUNY or SUNY? I think it's a CUNY school. But Parsons, Pratt, and SVA were competitors. Right. But we do a fairly good job of trying to place students. I know that Pratt's Center for Career and Professional Development is what it's called now. Used to be Career Services. Very robust and very active in trying to get students jobs. But I think I am getting a deeper point to what you're trying to make, James. Making a student aware of available jobs is different than 
placing them. Sure. And I think there's a great, greater effort and a greater amount of work needed to actually place students. Mm -hmm. And that's something, I'm, I'm not interested in SVA, though it's my alma mater and I worked there for years, or Parsons, how they're going to do it with their students. But yeah, I do wish that Pratt could develop. But so is some of that, the student then has to meet the institution halfway as well, right? I have sure. to have work ethic. Sure. If I want to sit on my ass sure. and not get a job, well, then I've got to pay these loans off. Yes, you know? yeah. Now, obviously, you're working day-to-day -day with students who are currently undergraduate students in college as yes. opposed to, you know, this is the first time you and I are sitting and talking in almost 10 years yes. because I'm not a student anymore. Yeah. For those students or former students, alumni, who graduated school and have untold amounts of debt, do you have any advice for them at this point other than the obvious things of work hard, have as much ethic as possible, be patient? I've never had a student loan. Not a single one. I remember my first day of college in 1973. My father walked into the business office and had a roll of cash wound up in a rubber band and just handed it to them. He knew how much they Did wanted. he get a receipt for that? I think he did. <laughs> my father was the only man I knew who would pay cash for a car. That's great. Cash. This was a man who died owing $22 to the water company. No other debt. That's $22. Just keep making payments. If it's not the full amount, just make some good on it. If your monthly nut is $300, oh, four more? Mm. Shit. Most are way higher. Oh, Jesus, Mary and We're talking in the 700 to 1000 a month. Really? Rate. When you factor in interest rates and things like oh, that. Oh, my God. Then... My advice is, you know, just pay a couple hundred bucks just so that you're not totally defaulting on them. Make a good will payment, mm -hmm. you know, just so that they know that you're trying. But somehow, some way, our government, the federal government, needs to address this issue. And it just can't keep going like this. Do you believe it is a drag on the economy? Oh, sure it is. Young adults with this yeah. much debt. Yeah, of course it is. You married yet, James? No. No. Do you own a car? No. Do you own a house? No. You got babies? No. <laughs> I mean, you know, as that podcast stated, those things all cost money. Mike Farham is one of my favorite people. As an undergraduate advisor at Pratt Institute, he's been responsible for helping countless amounts of students, including myself. But even he was unaware of just how high many graduates' monthly student loan payments are. Perhaps that's the case for much of the baby boomer generation that were fortunate enough to not have these high student loans. At the same time, it feels like the baby boomer generation had a higher level of work ethic at a younger age than my generation. Perhaps growing up in the participation trophy era did give us unrealistic expectations. People, it's to really work on managing your expectations. Managing your expectations not only in terms of finances and oh, how do I budget accordingly this month or whatever, but managing your expectations for what college is actually gonna be like and really thinking to yourself, okay, I'm going to school. I don't really know what I want to study, but I'm gonna have to pay this you know, X amount of money. Is it really worth it? 
there's no shame in going to community college for a year or two or taking some time time off and just really figuring out what your interests are. Sometimes I look back and I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have majored in theater. I'm really interested in history and literature, and maybe I should have studied production. Maybe I should have taken a year off. I wanted to. I wanted to take a year off before school, but my parents told me, well, if you don't go to school right away, maybe you never will, so we're going to tell you that we'll help you pay for your undergraduate degree, but only if you go to school right away. So I wanted to take a year off and really kind of explore before I went off and spent all this money, and I hope that more people going into school can at least manage their expectations of school better, what it's going to be and what it should be. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to feel good about it if you just did four or five or six years studying something you don't give a shit about. In the end, I think we have to work hardest to figure ourselves out because we're all unique and we're all on different paths. Also, by doing legwork at no matter what age, we can find diverse ways to pay for the things we want to achieve. You invested in your own future. I think that's really be smart. Mm. You can't be lazy, you can't read, you know, the internet to tell you, you have to mm. call the school, go to the school, call the financial officers, get people on the phone, there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Apply for every single scholarship you think you can, uh, you know, work hard, you know, the hardest thing is to get a kid early on to work hard early in high school because, you know, the grades do add up. So when you're going for a scholarship, you just can't say at 18 years old, oh, I'm going to do great this quarter. Well, it's already over. Mm-hmm. And, and most kids don't understand. You don't, have, um, you don't really have that in life where this action that I did prior is right. going to really affect the rest reaction. of my life. It's right? all a chain reaction. It's hard to get a kid to learn that. And I really just hope, I think, that this, you know, the reduction of the tuition in New York State is a big step forward. And I think uh, other colleges are going to just have to do that. Yeah. It's going to have to follow. Right. Or we're going to go back to tradespeople and specialized people sure not every single person's going to go to college and it has to be it has to work out in the end it's checks and balances there's a lot of free money out there james that a lot of kids don't bother to look into in the form of grants and foundations mm-hmm. when i was advising over at sva 20 some odd years ago you know this kid he said mike i just i i'm not gonna be able to keep going I said, all you have to do is go to any public library, go to their uh, reference section, and pull out out a book on grants and foundations. This kid found this one grant that was right up his alley. He was a cartooning major. And so he sent them, back in the day, you sent slides. I don't know, a couple dozen slides of his work, a letter of intent, and the transcript from his first year. He opens up his mailbox one day, there's a check in there for like $20,000, renewable every year, contingent upon. It's free money. Mm-hmm. It's not a loan. So people have to be able to do their own legwork. Yes, they do. And I wonder if that's also true for people who are out of school and are working in the field. There's all kinds of money laying around if you have, you can find endowments, you can find grants if you're yes. a working professional wants yes. to do something. Yes. Fantastic. Yes. Thank you. You're this welcome. fantastic. It was great. So, was college worth it for Nancy Pop? I mean, I went to school and I studied theater performance and playwriting. Those aren't really skill, or not skill level, but um, those aren't very much like labor-oriented jobs as it is more, do you have that natural artistic ability? Do you have like um, literary intellect? Can you process the script? Can you understand what the intention behind the scene is? You know, it's the arts. 
And getting an education in the arts, I feel a lot of people think it's a risky thing. I did it anyways because that's what I want to do with my life. Um, but I do look back quite often and think to myself, oh, if I went and studied at a studio or, you know, under the um, mentor mentorship of this director, if I went and studied for a year and only paid 10 grand or 8 grand, could I have gotten the same education? Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, you know, maybe I could have because maybe three years of this doesn't feel worth it to me for how much I paid for it, you know? But that's only something that you will know. That's only something that I'll know years. for myself. And, you know, as time goes on, I'll see right. how much I really can uh, implement into my daily life and into my work from my college degree. I think for the generation of us adults that graduated college since 2004, we've got to be patient and proactive. I know. I know. It's hard. Especially when we're trying to keep up with the Kardashians. But face-to-face -face connections are key, and social media doesn't really mean that much. And speaking of connecting, here's Nancy Pop one last time. Um, so my name's Nancy Pop. Uh, you can find me on Coffee and Anal, the podcast, which can be found on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn, Spreaker, basically anywhere you get your podcast with. I co-host it with my gal pal, Kimberly Rios. And I also have a monthly comedy show out in Brooklyn with Meg McDermott called Fire Signs Present. Check it out. Everything can be found on my website, nancympop.com. Thank you. Have a fabulous and day. Artichoke Pizza in Bushwick. That's where you host the show. Yeah, Artichoke Pizza in Bushwick. It's every last Wednesday of the month starting at 10 o'clock. Thank you. Yep. Thank you, Nancy, Teresa, Mike, and Denise. Summer's over, and Mike Farnham and Denise Jacovone are now back working hard to help the next generation of young adults at Xavier High School on 16th Street in Manhattan and at Pratt Institute in Brooklyn, New York. Admittedly, this was the most difficult episode I've ever produced. That was due both to a combination of a lack of my own personal time since I started this episode and how vast the topic of student loan debt is. There's a ton of audio I recorded with these guests that I haven't used in this episode. The narrative laid out here is meant to begin a conversation. Many of us, myself included, have high levels of student loan debt. I don't worry about my debt, though, when I'm feeling like my life has a strong purpose. That purpose comes from feeling professional progress and giving and receiving love. Also, hey, as much as, say, 200 grand seems like a lot of money, it's not that much money. Be ambitious. Be idealistic, even when being realistic. With passion, ethic, and connection, we can all find the purpose needed to generate enough income to wipe out our debt. One thing, though, that does seem plainly obvious given our current meteorological and economic climate is that change is coming. And speaking of change, that leads us into October. The topic on Breaking Walls next month will be fear. That comes from Halloween. These lessons we learn about ourselves cause us to have to face deep-rooted fears and insecurities. By facing those fears, we find out that, in fact, hey, we are full of worth. And... That sense of inner peace gives us gratitude for ourselves and for the people we care about. So episode 66 of Breaking Walls will be an interactive audio history of radio's outstanding theater of thrills, suspense. I'm very excited to bring this episode to you, and it'll be a short turnaround due to episode 65 being late. As I mentioned on the show open, you can find Breaking Walls on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and TuneIn by searching for Breaking Walls or on SoundCloud following us at The Wall Breakers. And if you've been enjoying Breaking Walls, please leave us an iTunes rating and review. If you have anything to say, questions, comments, concerns, criticisms about this episode or any others, you can reach out to me directly at james at thewallbreakers.com. And 
I'm aware that this episode might not have really found a lot of solutions because we're in this ongoing process of the debt crisis. But I also understand, based on the last five and a half years, six years now of running the wall breakers, you've got to keep getting out there and keep breaking those walls. Isolation never helps in the long term. So get out there, break those walls, enjoy the fall, and you'll be hearing from me in a short amount of time on October 1st with episode number 66. So keep being wall breakers, guys. And until October 1st, I'll catch you on the flip side. Thank you very much. This is WBBN, the Wallbreakers Broadcasting Network. Thank you, and good afternoon.